But uh, this is an important topic, and I thought this would be a real help uh, for us to understand. Um, I'm going to talk today a little bit about the divine basis of God's judgment. And there, it's, it's interesting because when we think of judgment, we think only of judgment of whether a person is saved or lost. And that is judgment, of course, uh, the judgment that was placed upon Christ uh, for our sins. But we're going to learn today <clears throat> that within the judgment of God, there's also an equity, a justice that God works out within his judgment. It's never just cut and dry this and that. It, it's really based upon our behavior. And I want you to see that today. And I'm not saying you're, you're saved by your works. What I'm saying is, is this, that if a person receives Christ as their savior, after that point, everything is dependent upon your works. If a person rejects Christ, and they will not receive Christ as their Savior, they will still face God based on their works. And I want you to see what that means today, because it's justice. Uh, God is very articulate when he looks at a person's life. There's nobody that can look at that and say, you're unjust in the way that you divide or the way that you judge a situation, because he uses the same standard on both sides, whether you're on doing the right thing or whether you're doing the wrong thing. You understand? And so that's good to know because, so this passage, you, you don't want to get confused that it's talking about any types of, of work salvation. What it's really just giving you, it's, it's, a, it's the basis of the way that God looks at people and the way that we ought to determine exactly uh, the justice of what a person is. Are they truly righteous or are they unrighteous? That is evidence in your works. Amen. We're going to look at some very interesting things today. Hopefully that'll help you a little bit. Um, but I'm going to just do this in, in, I'm not going to read the whole passage. I'm going to read this in actually uh, sections here as we go through this. So I'm going to start in verse number two, because the first aspect of God's judgment is, is God's judgment is according to truth. It's according to truth. So it's not feelings. It's not reasoning. It's truthfulness. It's based upon reality, upon the facts. And uh, that's a good way to judge. It says, but we are sure in verse number two that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. So you may have a blanket statement you make about people that do evil. The, God doesn't necessarily look at it the way you do. He looks at it in a very much more def, definitive way, in a just way, Okay. Well, they're doing bad. They must be going to hell. <laughs> well, well, let the Lord be the judge of that. He is the one that has that, that divine basis for judgment. Amen. That's why he says, don't, don't become the judge. Uh, I'm the only one that can judge here. You wouldn't have the ability to properly judge a situation the way that I have to, especially when souls hang in the balance. Amen. And so uh, there is one standard for judgment for all people. In John 12, verse 48, it says, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. So what will be the, the standard of judgment? The word, the word of God. Uh, it's going to judge every soul in the last day. Uh, now, not simply just based on whether they got saved or not, 
But you understand that even a lost person, there's a standard of, of, of works that the Lord is looking at but that'll have an impact on their punishment. The saved, you will have a standard put on you that will judge your works for reward. The lost will have a standard put on them that'll judge their, their works for punishment. Do you understand that? See, I wouldn't be able to discern that, <laughs> but God will. And I believe that's what we need to understand about our God, that it isn't just every person that is lost is going to experience the same degree of judgment. It's going to be varying. There's going to be a different level of punishment for different people according to their works. Do you understand? Just like for a saved person, there's different levels of rewards for a saved person according to your works. That's the equity and the basis of God's judgment, you see. And that's what we're going to read here. And so it's according to truth. Uh, let, uh, next point is Christ is the standard of judgment. Yeah. See, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jesus Christ is the glory of God. The Bible says he is the brightness of his glory. So when you've fallen short of the glory of God, you've fallen short of Christ. So when you ever want, if you ever want to say, well, I'm good enough to go to heaven based on how good I am, just place yourself beside Jesus and make that judgment. <laughs> Amen. You'll find very quickly, okay, no, I'm not good enough. We have fallen short of that glory. Amen? Amen. And that's why we need him to pay that price for us on the cross of Calvary. That's why we need that atonement made for our sin and righteousness imputed to our account. And so Christ is that standard. Romans chapter 3 verse 21 says, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, Unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So there's a new righteousness in town here, and that righteousness has come through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's revealed through his gospel. It's revealed to us through Christ, through that receiving of the gospel and applied to our lives by imputation is what it's talking about here. Amen? That's what justified. I like that. Uh, how people say, you know, justified, justified, never sinned, amen, justified. And John seven twenty four, judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment, amen. And Jesus Christ is the righteous one. Our reasoning and our feelings are, are tainted. They cannot be trusted. We need a source of absolute truth for judgment. What really worries me today about our world, even Christianity within politics, within uh, the social media platforms, within these, uh, these groups that are out there standing for freedom, uh, even admitting they're Christians, is they don't use the Bible. Yeah. That's my problem. They're scared to go to the Bible because they know that then the attack will simply be on the Bible by the other side. So they try to, they try to fight on the same level as the other side. And then saying, I'm a Christian in the meantime. Folks, we've got to say, thus saith the Lord. Yeah. I'm just waiting for some, one of these groups, one of these guys. You know, they're good guys, and they've got some good arguments and good fights and good debating, and, and I love that stuff. But I'm just waiting for one of them to say, thus saith the Lord. Yeah. That would knock people's socks off. <laughs> Amen. I mean, I'm, I'm ready for that kind of fight. But you know, that is the fight. It's really against the word of God. 
and they're keeping the word of God out of the arena. Who's going to win this battle if God's word isn't going to be in the middle of it? Amen? So that standard has to be applied. Not your reasoning, not your feelings. And I understand you can talk about abortion and you can understand that, uh, sure, uh, scientifically, when the heartbeat begins and so forth. But guess what? The left don't care. They don't care if the heart is beating. They don't care about these things. But you know the Bible says that the life of the flesh is in the blood? You know, the Bible talks about murder. The Bible talks about if, if anyone offend one of these little ones, it's better that a millstone be put around their neck and cast into the sea. Thus saith the Lord. Yep. Amen. Boy, God give us some men like that that will stand up in some of these platforms and start using the Bible instead of just simply their reasoning on a scientific level with the left that don't really care what they're saying anyways. They're not changing their minds. Thy word, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Amen? Amen. That's what we need to use. We need to be Christians of the book, not just Christians of reason. Amen? Because the judgment standard is going to be the Bible. It's going to be the word of God. My second point is this. God's judgment against the unbelieving will be revealed on the day of wrath. Notice what it says in verse uh, number five. It says, but after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of righteous judgment of God. Now, Paul is speaking of wrath that will one day be revealed to those that are not prepared for judgment. Now, what is that? Now, I know that the great white throne judgment is obviously a specific day of wrath. But you know, also the Bible says that to the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years a day. Do you understand that when the tribulation comes, that's the beginning of the day? You see, the, the Jewish day always begins in the evening, not in the morning. So basically, when you have the tribulation coming, that's the darkest point. It's getting dark. And so that's when it all begins as the, dark, the, the darkness begins the day. And then... Halfway through the day, what happens is the sun comes up. And the Bible says that the the Son of God will come with healing in his wings. He'll arise. Yet it's still within that day. Then you hear 1 Peter talking about that the day of the Lord, the earth will melt with a fervent heat. You're also talking about a thousand years later, you're talking about how this world is going to be burnt up. And the Bible says there will be no place found for this world. The molecules themselves will disappear and dissipate. Uh, You know, when you burn something, there's always a pile of ashes. But when this earth is going to be destroyed, there will be nothing left. Not just the earth, but the universe. Everything. It's going to be a complete new and perfect creation that will take its place. A new heaven and a new earth. It's going to be quite a different story when heaven comes down and meets man on earth. That's what's going to happen. The tabernacle of God will be among men, the Bible says. So basically what you have is this this space, this universe that's keeping us from the third heaven where God is and his angels and where his holy temple is, is going to be taken out of the way. And heaven will come down to man and join together with the perfect earth. So literally you will have heaven on earth. 
And all of us will live that are born again in that particular time together with God in that heaven on earth. Amen? Amen. I can hardly wait for that. That's going to be so wonderful. I mean, there's details given in the Bible, but boy, not enough. I need to know more about this. The Bible says that earth, there's going to be no more seas. You know, so much of our, I wish I know exactly, some of you may know what percentage of the, the, face, the surface area of our earth is actually water. 70%. Can you imagine an earth even this size with no seas? That's what we're going to have to live on. I'm not saying there won't be rivers. In fact, the Bible says there'll be a river flowing from the throne of God. Yep. There'll be a tree of life. That tree of life, the Bible says, will we'll, we'll take up that half of the river and this half. I don't know how that's going to work, but the tree is going to actually cover the whole river. <laughs> I don't know if there's going to be little tunnels underneath it. I don't know how that's going to happen, but it, I, I can hardly wait to see it. Yeah. Amen. It's a wonderful thing. So the day of the Lord, the day of wrath, is not just simply a specific day, though I can point to the great white throne judgment and say, yeah, that will be a very specific point of wrath upon mankind. But you know there's wrath that's coming before that in the tribulation. Wrath will be poured upon mankind. And the Bible says that these people that are, that are thinking they're going to be just enough to meet God, they're just simply treasuring up wrath against the day of wrath. And they'll have to experience that. Treasuring up. Think about that word. Building up. Building up wrath. Wow. So it's not just one wrath for everybody. No. It's, it's, there's a treasuring up of wrath. You see. So we're beginning to learn a little bit about God's judgment and how that works against the individual and, and how we respond to God. Amen. So lost mankind already has wrath abiding on them. I mean, it's abiding. It doesn't mean that it's. Uh, it doesn't mean that they're experiencing it, but it's there. It's hovering. It's dwelling over them. Amen. In John three thirty six, it says, "He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him to remain or to dwell or to live on that person." And so today, every person that does not have Christ as their Savior, the wrath is already just hovering over that person, waiting to fall upon them. And as they reject and as they make decisions against God, God says, you're treasuring up wrath against yourself. Whoa. (laughs) That's powerful. Believers will not face any wrath because we have been saved. Oh, I hope we get this, guys. I know I've been hitting this recently, but you know what? I get concerned sometimes that, the, that heretics and false movements and the internet and these wackos out there are going to twist people's mind. Like the Galatians, who hath bewitched you? Having begun in the spirit, you shall become perfect in the flesh. Who's bewitched you that now your salvation was a spiritual salvation where it was a free gift that made you born again, but now somehow you're going to perfect your life in the flesh? Or you're going to perfect your salvation? (laughs) He says, what a foolish bunch we can become. Now, Galatianism is simply the concept that a born-again believer gets deceived by false teaching. And even though they've received Christ and Christ is in them, they begin to think that somehow they can lose their salvation. 
And that's such a lie. It's abominable. Folks, you need to understand something. That is a doctrine of devils. It's not an acceptable doctrine. It's not something, oh, well, somewhere on that side, somewhere on that. No, there is no sides with this. There is one side. Either Christ is sufficient or he is not. Amen. 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 Be careful who you listen to. And can I encourage you, not just to zip your mouth and just let this, these people talk. The Bible says, and heretic after the first and second admonition, reject. Yep. That means that you have to admonish them. You say, please stop talking about that. That is heresy against the word of God. And you admonish them. Oh, no, we don't do things like that. Just the pastor does. That's why I'm such a friend to everybody. You know? It'd be nice if all of you would help me. <laughs> Amen. Seriously. I'll tell you something, when all the people of God start standing up and admonishing the heresy, that's when the heretics don't want to come here no more. Yep. Amen? As long as you're listening, they think they're getting through. Let them know you're not listening. <laughs> Amen? Shut them down. Shut them down. Don't listen to it. It's not right. It, it, who hath bewitched you? It's, it's a demonic thing. The Bible says, and some shall give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Yeah. Seducing. Seducing. Amen. And if the Galatian church could be seduced by false doctrine, Airdrie Baptist Church can be seduced by false doctrine. And you have to remain strong and, and fast in, your, in your, uh, your, your doctrinal stand. And we make a big deal about that here. Amen. Believers will not face any wrath. I believe with all my heart, all of my wrath was put on Jesus 2,000 years ago. Oh, he took it all for me. That sin, my sin, that wretched, ungodly sin of mine, Jesus Christ paid it all 2,000 years ago, and the wrath of God was on him. Never again will I experience that wrath. I, I am totally removed from it. I like this in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 4. It says, But ye brethren, are not in darkness that the day should overtake you as a thief. The day, it's not just talking about the great white throne. It's talking about the tribulation. It's talking about that whole time of wrath that's going to come upon the lost. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not the, of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. And that's why I always preach, folks. Keep your eyes open. That's why I meet with you guys sometimes and say, hey, guys, keep your eyes open. Let, let's not fall asleep here on this thing. There, there's too much at stake. Amen? Yeah, amen? For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. What is hope of salvation? Oh, I sure hope I'm saved. <laughs> That's not the hope of salvation. That ain't no helmet. How are you going to deflect the doubts of the devil, the arrows of the devil, if you're just simply thinking here, oh, well, I hope I'm going to be saved. Folks, that in itself is the dart of the devil. That ain't no helmet. But the helmet, the hope of salvation, the word hope isn't, mean, isn't a question mark. The word hope is a period. It's a confident expectation is what it is. So when we're putting on the helmet of salvation, we're putting on the confident expectation of our salvation. Amen? That is the armor that we need to put on our minds. This whole thing about, oh, well, that verse may mean this. Get over it, man. Put on the helmet. Start 
confidently expecting the fact that I am saved and I'm going to meet God one day and what a wonderful day that's going to be, amen? Salvation is real. Are you saved? Are you saved? Or are you being saved? Will you be saved? One day I may be saved. No, no, I am saved. (laughs) If I am saved... Why am I pretending like I'm not saved? Amen? Amen. It's like someone that fell off the ship and is in the water. They need to be saved. You throw in the life preserver. They put it on. You grab the rope and you pull them onto the deck. Guess what? I am saved. (laughs) Do they still need to be saved? No, because they're already saved. They're already in the ship. (laughs) If you're in Christ, you're already saved. The word saved isn't a question mark, it's a period. Just like hope is a period, not a question mark. Amen? Or don't say you're saved. (laughs) I'm going to be saved. I hope I'm saved. Hope, question mark. You know? No, sir. (laughs) I've been pulled out of that trench. I've been placed, that's what David said, uh, that he, he pulled me out of the miry clay, he set my feet upon a rock, and he established my goings. Well, you know what he's saying? I am saved. <laughs> Not only that, he's saying, I'm saved and I'm sanctified. Not only that, he's saying, I'm saved and I'm sanctified and I'm serving. <laughs> that's what that means, establish my goings. Amen. So we need to understand that the person talking about, they're saying, I'm saved, but do you lose your salvation? Well, you're not saved. You're still in the ocean trying to keep your head above the water. Amen? If Jesus Christ is your life preserver, why are you still trying to save yourself? Amen? The hope of salvation. This next verse is for God. Why do I put on the hope of salvation? Why do I put on that helmet? For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why. Put on the helmet. For God hath not appointed you to wrath. It says, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. Appointed means to set a time, to put a place, to lay it down. We have no appointment with wrath. Every lost person in God's calendar, they have an appointment with wrath. If you look in God's calendar for an appointment for wrath for me, it's not there. It's not there. It used to be there. You know what he did? He erased it. When Jesus saved my soul. Amen. Amen. Now he says, you're no longer appointed to wrath. No more appointments with wrath. But now you'll obtain salvation. Amen. (laughs) What a great truth that is. Salvation is deliverance. It's preservation from danger or destruction. I'm on the deck of the ship. I'm no longer in the ocean. I am preserved. I am safe. Amen. Amen. If you're saying, I'm saved, you're saying, I'm safe. There's a lot of people that say, I'm saved. They don't believe they're safe. Or they're under some deception that somehow that they're going to be good enough to be safe. My goodness, man. 
if I had anything to do with my salvation, I would be a wreck. Every day I'd wake up wondering when I'm going to fall into hell. See, that's the way I felt right before I got saved. I felt that maybe tonight when I go forward in the invitation, it'll be too late. And maybe hell will come for me before I even have an opportunity to go forward and make this decision. I didn't know that I could just do it myself. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I need help. <laughs> you understand that? But the Lord knew that. What a gracious God. He didn't let me fall into hell that afternoon. He says, I knew you were going to get saved. <laughs> and when I did, I've been safe ever since. Delivered on the deck, in the boat. Amen. Amen. Pulled out of the ocean, pulled out of hell, never to experience. I have no appointment with wrath but I'm going to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says this. It talks about the believers here at Thessalonica. It says, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Now, if I were to say you've been delivered from the wrath to come, does it mean you've been delivered? Or does that mean you might have to go through it yet? <laughs> which delivered us from the wrath to come. You know, that's not only talking just about the, the great white throne. It's talking about the whole appointment to wrath. The tribulation is an appointment to wrath on this earth. All the inhabitants of the earth. That's why woe unto you that inhabit the earth. Woe unto you, the inhabitants of the earth. If I'd be on the earth, I'd be one of them inhabitants. And I'd have to be someone telling me, woe to you. But guess what? I'm going to be raptured out. I'm not going to be here, so no woe to me. <laughs> I have no appointment with wrath. I'm, going to be de I'm already delivered from that appointment. Amen? What a great truth that is. The deliverance is based upon the justification through Christ's blood. Romans 5, 9, it says, Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Amen? Shall be saved. Is that a question mark there? Or is that kind of an imperative? Yes, you will be saved. You are going to be saved through the blood of Jesus. Not through yourself, but through the blood of Jesus. We were singing, power in the blood. I didn't choose that, by the way. My wife did. <laughs> power in the blood. Through the blood of Christ, I'm delivered from the wrath to come. It's not about me. It's not about my goodness. not about things I've done. Not about my church attendance. Simply through the blood that's been shed for me. Amen. That's what this church is about. That's what we teach here. <laughs> That's what I want you to understand. That's what I want you to teach the world and go and tell people that they need to understand that Jesus shed his blood for their sins. And that blood will deliver you from the wrath to come. The day of wrath is a day of the Lord when Jesus Christ will deal with sinful men. Number three, God's judgment is according to deeds. Deeds. And I want you to see this, and that's why I kind of get my wrap in my head around. I've read a lot of books on it and, and just what other people have said. And, and I get what the Lord is doing in this passage. I just don't know if I can explain it well enough. <laughs> Amen. He's not telling you you need to go work to get to heaven, but he's saying what I want you to understand is the, the basis of how God looks at people. See, we need to understand that because we have a whole world today of Christianity that thinks that once you're saved, it doesn't matter what you do. 
And it doesn't matter that you live holy and are sanctified and, and, and separated from the world and so forth. Then you just become a legalist or you're some kind of a fuddy-duddy Christian and so forth. But you know the Lord actually wants us to live a separated life. It's not very, not popular today. Not popular. But it's true. It's true. And so Romans 2 verse 5 says, But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against a day of wrath, uh, and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. I want to show you a passage of scripture here. And this, this passage is very, uh, it's an interesting passage. And, and to understand it, you've got to, go, you've got to go a little deeper into the definitions of what these words mean. All right, and I want to show this to you. So 1 John chapter 3, verse number 4. <clears throat> We're going to start with a very simple verse. You're going to understand this verse right away. It says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Yeah. Pretty good, pretty easy to understand that. So basically, if you disobey what God has said, you have sinned. <laughs> because that sin is the transgression of the law. Then it goes on to say, And ye know that he, Jesus Christ, was manifested to take away our sins. And in him is no sin. He fulfilled the law 100%. He's perfect in every way. He is uh, you know, pure, undefiled, without sin, the Bible says. It says, Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous even as he is righteous. Wow, are you confused yet? Doesn't that bring you to another woe? <laughs> okay, preacher. <laughs> I got the first couple of verses there. That was real good. I was saying amen all over the place. But now I got a little fear. Maybe not. <laughs> it goes on to say this. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God is manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Are you confused yet? In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Now, Wow, that is a mouthful. How are you going to explain that to somebody if they ask you? How are you going to tell them, they that are born of God doth not commit sin? First thing is this, folks, we need to understand something. What's going on today within what people call Christianity, living in outright sin because they're relying on this grace, grace, licensed to sin lifestyle and they continue in it as if god's okay with it the bible tells us people that are living within a lifestyle of sin are not of god wow wow see what you need to understand is that phrases like sinneth not doth not commit sin, or he cannot sin, 
those words, we need to understand what that means. What is he talking about? Is he saying that you can never have a bad thought or, oh, you're actually the child of the devil? Or what is he referring to in, in regards to this? Now, you need to understand the tense of the verbs that are going on here. See, that's when, that's when you begin to study the word of God. And you know what? When you study it, you find that all of these phrases have the same description as far as the tense of that verb. And what it's talking about is a continual, contemporous action. You see, what the Bible is saying there is someone that is born again is not going to live in a continual, contemporous action of sin in their life. You will sin. You will do wrong like a sheep that falls into the mud. But you know what? You're going to hop out. I'll tell you why. Because there's a seed that remains in you. The Holy Spirit of God is inside of you. Your spirit has been sealed into the day of redemption. So as much as you would like to continue on with that sin, you're not going to. You're going to be miserable until you get that right. A lost person is not so. That's why they'll sit there and they'll argue with you. It's okay for a Christian to do this. It's okay for a Christian to do that. God's not going to judge. Hey, if you're not feeling conviction for your sin, you are not born of God because you have a seed in you that will constantly remind you. In fact, most of the time, immediately after you sin, he'll remind you, you shouldn't be doing that. And following the conviction comes a very another very huge thing called chastisement. You have now been, with your new birth, have now been placed into the family of God. And contrary to popular belief, not every person on the earth is in the family of God. There are many that are within the family of the devil. But when you are placed into the family of God by your new birth, you have a father that immediately looks at you and says, I am going to correct your behavior like any good father would do. And he uses the, the seed within that remaineth in you, never leaves, even though you sin. He says, I'm telling you this because I want you to understand that this is how the children of the devil are made manifest. And this is how the children of God are made manifest. This is how you can know that that person truly is a child of God. So he says, be not deceived. <laughs> he that doeth righteousness is righteous. So that means that there's a deception that can be placed upon your life where someone can come to you and live in a, in, a, in a sinful lifestyle and actually trick you to think that somehow it's okay and that they're a child of God. And God says, I don't want you to be deceived. Yeah. Do you understand that? Because what it has done, it has started movements of Christianity. I had one person this year talk to me and there's a... There's a, a doctrine that's called free grace, free grace movement. Now, it sounds good. Grace is free. Praise God, you know. But what they do is they say, it's, it's not about your relationship with your transgressions with God. It's simply that you believe about God, and even if you live like the devil, you're still saved. And that's what the guy told me. You can continue to live like the devil, and you're still saved. 
And I'm saying, well, I know what you're saying, I think. But what you need to understand is there's no way that a born-again child of God can ever live like the child of the devil. Never. You can't. Even if you wanted to, you couldn't. Because there's something inside of you that has completely changed you. And you know that. Amen? And if you don't know that, we'll talk later about salvation. I used to be a person, I used to be on, uh, in a rock band. That would be what I'd do. We'd go play in the bars, you know. There'd be drinking and drugs and all kinds of things. <laughs> and I didn't feel that terribly bad about it. What I felt was, is a discontentment with what I was looking for. And that discontentment brought me to anger many times. I thought I needed more out of this than what I was getting. See, that's how the devil traps you. He wants to trick you to get further into sin as a lost person. But I'm glad the Lord found me in that process. <laughs> when the devil was there to bring me into a deeper relationship with him, the Lord says, stop right there. Now you know there's no fruit in a sinful lifestyle. And he caught me right there. He says, let me show you the way. And when Christ came into my life, everything changed. Everything changed. You know, it's not like I didn't struggle. You know, the, the rock music and the band were a big part of my life since I was 12 years old. We were playing together with groups and, you know, I was like 25 years old. I mean, it was a big part of what I was doing. So it was hard for me to think of myself without it. <laughs> so there was a time where I took... Uh, what I had learned in the rock music, and I said, maybe I could use this for God. And I tried to, and I had my recording studio, and I thought, maybe I could make something using what I've learned for God. And, and I tried it, but it was just, a, it, was a, <laughs> it was a vexation to my soul. It didn't work. I remember the one time we had a, a gig that came up, and the group called me, and, hey, we got this big thing happening, and, and I, I, I struggled with it. I know the Lord is telling me, don't do that. But I made up my mind I was going to do it. And I did it. Born of God. Standing up there. <laughs> Social, everybody's drinking. And I looked out. thought, man, I don't belong here. You see, Amen. at the end of that night, I said, God, I will never do this again. Nobody had to tell me that. Nobody had to pull my ears and say, you listen to me. God had me. Do you understand? A child of God, those that are born of God, they do not commit sin. There's no contemporary action of sin. There's no, oh, we're going to have a gig next week and the week after and the week after and we're just going to have a good old time. You're a child of God. God's got you. He's got you. That seed remaineth in you and there's no way you're going to do what you used to do. So don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. There's people out there that are living these lifestyles and saying, hey, guess what? We live in the age of grace and God's okay with this and he, he's just going to let this go. Well, good luck with that. My experience is not that. And I, you know, those of you that are born again, can you not say amen to this? Yeah. Or is yours kind of, yeah, I can do whatever I want, I can sin, I'm not bothered by it please get saved tonight. 
because you're being manifest. See, those things manifested me. <laughs> it manifested that I was a child of God. <laughs> I'm convinced that I'm a child of God because I know there's no way I can continue anymore in a lifestyle of sin. <laughs> and if Christians think they can, I'm sorry, you're wrong. And you're not a true Christian. I'm not going to be deceived by you. Do you understand that? Amen. See, what I'm saying is, when God judges, it's not just by what some, well, I believe and I don't believe. He says, okay, if you do believe, let's see what you do. Faith without works is dead. You understand that? I know we won't have much time for this, but Romans 2, verse 6, it says this. It talks about God's judgment. It's according to our deeds. Who will render to every man according to his deeds. To them who, by patient continuance, in well-doing, seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. Tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. See, that's God's judgment. He says, you can't pretend being a contentious person that does not obey the truth and you obey unrighteousness. Don't think for a second that you're saved from the wrath of God. But the Bible says if you're born again, you will with patience and continuance, uh, you will seek for the Lord and seek for his glory and, your, uh, and his honor. And I can't put a time limit on that. And I can't say that this person ought to be here at this time or so forth at that time. That's not my business. But all I know is every born again child of God in this room, you're looking and you're seeking for something from God. Yeah. Amen. Unlike the lost that are contentious. See, that's why sometimes the contentious come within our group. Those that are lost without Christ and they stir things up and they divide the church and so forth. These people are not saved, folks. How could they be saved? How could you be a saved individual and try and divide the body of Christ? Yeah. Judging by God's judgment. <laughs> Children of God don't do that. I've never done that since I've been born again. I've had Christians treat me badly. It never once made me want to hurt the church. I will always love the church. I will always respect the church. The ones I came from, the ones I'm going to, the one I'm in, whatever it is, those are the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're bought with his very blood. They are so important to the Lord. Folks, anybody that's willing to treat that like a piece of garbage that they're willing to kick out onto the street are a contentious person and they are not born again. Yeah. Oh my goodness, isn't that hard to say? <laughs> they don't obey the truth. You tell them something from the Bible, they're not going to do it. But the things that are bad, that's what they're doing. It's being made manifest. Folks, this is important because we need to understand those people around us in our lives. We need to know how to pray for them. Yeah. Are you praying for a lost person or a saved one? 
It's a different thing. Don't deceive yourself. You're doing them no favors trying to treat them like something they are not. Amen? Yeah. Render, to give something necessary in fulfillment of an obligation or expectation to return or to pay back. He is going to render judgment to every individual. He's going to pay back and compensate based on what they are doing. Amen? There's a judgment of the saved. That means there's a degree of reward as a saved person according to our works. Uh, I'll read you a passage here. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So as a Christian, you will be judged according to your works. And you'll receive a reward or loss of reward based upon that. And there will be shame or there will be honor based upon that. Amen? Now, if you're saying, well, I don't care, at least I'm saved, (laughs) you're missing the picture here. (laughs) You're not meeting Grandpa Billy. (laughs) You're meeting the creator of the world. You're meeting the one with the nail-scarred hands. You're meeting the one that gave everything for you. And he's going to look you straight in the eyes. I know sometimes I'm preaching, I'm looking at people say, Pastor, you've been looking at me when I'm wanting you to preach Folks, I just do that when I preach. I don't have any ulterior motive with that, you know. But it's amazing because when your eyes lock, it's like, does he know? (laughs) Peter, when he was denied Christ at the fire, and Jesus just happened to be brought by, and he looked and locked eyes with Peter. Oh, Peter just fell like a stone. I'm sorry, it's a big deal. Whether you're going to be rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ is a huge deal. Not something to be looked at lightly and just say, oh, well, at least I'm saved. (laughs) That just shows you how illiterate to the Bible you truly are. Get back to the word. (laughs) It's going to wake you up to the reality of what you're facing. Read Revelation 1, Jesus Christ, when he comes again with his eyes of fire. Hair white as wool feet of brass, the voice of many waters, like a multitude. It's not going to say, oh, you know, stroke you, like your best friend does when you do wrong. Oh, it's okay. You don't need to listen to these people. He's going to look right into your soul. You think that was bad with Peter? There's going to be a whole new degree when he looks into you. Amen? It's a big deal. So a believer will be rewarded, a believer that will be rewarded will seek the Lord. That's the first thing we need to understand here. To them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory, honor, and immortality. What does it mean to seek for immortality? Does it mean that I'm trying to become immortal? No, it means that I'm set upon the things that are immortal. That's why you see uh, verses like uh, in Colossians chapter 3, it says, if ye then be risen with Christ, Seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. 
When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Amen? So that means if we're going to be seeking the Lord, we better be seeking above. This whole thing about Christians today trying to figure out how I'm going to live an easy life and a pampered life and a, and a rich life and get lots of money. And Folks, what if Jesus would come back next week? Look at the time you've wasted where you could have been doing something for the Lord. All I'm saying is this, everybody has to work. We all have to pay our dues that way, amen, and that's what the Bible says. But the Bible says, seek not to be rich. You just work and serve God and put that first. Don't let anything keep you from serving the Lord. Because ultimately, when you meet the Lord, he's not going to ask you how much you made on your job. In fact, the Bible says that, the, that your life consisteth not with the abundance of the things which you possess. It doesn't even say partially consists. Your life consisteth not. Your life has nothing to do with what you own. Wow. Isn't that against the world's philosophy? The world is saying it's all about what you own. It's all about what you have. God says it's nothing to do with what you have. (laughs) <laughs> so when you meet the Lord, he's not going to say how, ask how big your house is, what kind of car you drove, you understand? He's going to say, what did you do for my son? He gave everything for you. What did you give for him? I set you free from that slave block. I took the chains off your hands. I gave you the freedom to choose to follow my son. Did you follow? Or did you go your own way? See, that's the freedom we have. Every person can choose what they do with the chains off. <laughs> now, some of us go into the world and they put the chains back on, <laughs> you know. They get entangled again, the yoke of bondage. But if we follow the Lord, and he wants us to know that. He says, I'll, I'll keep you free. You'll live in liberty, serving me as your master. Amen. I don't have time to finish this. Man, it's such good stuff. Let's bow our heads. The divine basis of God's judgment. So you have to be careful because in this world... There are groups that will try to convince you it doesn't matter. There are groups that will try to convince you that you can go to heaven only by your works. Then there's groups that believe, okay, you can get saved through grace, but then you got to keep it by your works. But then there's groups that say you're saved by grace, and that grace should be evidenced by your works. Your life should be an evidence of the seed that remaineth in you. It's a well-balanced judgment of God. Oh, I feel so sorry for those that don't have Christ. You see, for us, our sin has been judged already. All we have to face is a judgment of works. So we don't have to experience our judgment in death. 
we experience our judgment in life. But those that are lost, they're deciding to take the judgment of sin upon themselves. So they have to be separated from God forever and placed into the lake of fire. And then they also have to receive the judgment of works. As far as the, as far as the degree of punishment that they'll experience. The Bible says the great white throne that they'll open the books. And it says, and they'll be judged according to their works. It's not going to change their destination, but it's going to change the degree. See, some people are treasuring up wrath unto themselves. Treasuring up wrath. See, that's how God's judgment works. So the first question is today, are you saved? Get the judgment of sin out of the way. Because if, there's, if you've got sin upon you, the lake of fire is your only destination. But if you've had your sin judged on Christ 2,000 years ago, it's done, it's over, it's finished forever. And now you just have to prepare yourself for the judgment of works where he, you're going to have to face the Lord and everything he's done for you and he's going to question you on your stewardship of what he's given you in this life. Don't make much out of your bank account. Store up treasures in heaven where rust and moth doth not corrupt. Set your heart towards the Lord. Make it all about him and set your affections on those things which are above. Seek the, immortal, the, the immortality. Seek the eternal life, not the temporal. Seek the glory of God. Seek the honor of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that if you do, you'll receive glory. You'll receive honor. And the third thing he says you're going to receive is peace. See, when you seek immortality, the return of that is peace. When you set your heart towards heaven, you receive peace. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. See, he's not saying you're earning salvation. He's saying, but when you set your heart towards heaven, I'll give you peace back. I'll repay you with peace. Wow. Wow. Christian, you need to make a decision today to re-establish your decision to seek the Lord, seek his glory, seek his honor, seek the things of immortality and eternal life. Get back to serving God. Get back to making much of that every week. What can I do, Lord, this week for you? What can I do to, to glorify you today? What can I do on Sunday? What can I do on Monday, Lord? Oh, don't let a week go by where you're not giving yourself to the things of heaven. Because one day it's all going to be over. There'll be no more chances. Don't wait any longer. Do it now. If you're here, you're lost. Please get saved today.